What an exciting time, what a busy time. The youth just got back from camp yesterday or Saturday, Friday, and so I lucked out and met him in the parking lot as they were getting back, and they were blessed and had a good time and saw some pictures and stuff, and God moved, amen. We've got a God that moves in this coming week with children's camp. What another exciting time for the children of our congregation to be ministered to and hear the gospel and and uh, quit smiling at me. <laughs> you know, some of the counselors at that camp, you know, if, there, if, there, if there's any incentive for me to ever uh, be at children's camp against for some of these counselors because they're so stinking ornery. You know, I don't worry about the kids. It's, and I won't mention any names, Justin, but I, I don't worry about, I don't worry about the kids. It's some of these counselors that we've got that are, that, uh, you know, we keep hoping that the message will cause growth in their life or something. No, I mean, we, we really, it is so exciting. We've got these men and women that go to camp as counselors. And uh, we, we've got these godly young men that are going to camp that these younger men have the opportunity to look up to. I mean, that, that to me is, that's about as exciting as it gets to know that. You know, Dr. Coleis taught, you know, there's, certain things in life that are caught can't be taught. And so, you know, the fact that we have young fathers and men in this church that have made that quality decision to follow after Jesus and, and young mothers and women that have made that decision that Jesus is gonna be first place in their life, um, they're, they're children have such an advantage in their life. Uh, because they don't have to go someplace and hear about the goodness of God. They get to see it every day as they look at their moms and at their dads. and That's exciting. Amen. Amen. So uh, God's exciting. And uh, so I want to share with you today, I want to talk with you about... Uh, Restoration of power. Yesterday I was watching a uh, um, little bit of the Believer's Voice of Victory Network, and uh, they were over in, uh, is, it, is it Ireland, where, uh, what was his name? This wasn't part of my message, anyway. <clears throat> so I, I, didn't, I didn't take any notes. But anyway, the, the, this young evangelist, his name just, Poof, left me. And, uh, you know, God moved in, in such a wonderful supernatural way. You know, and the thing that we need to realize is that what we see going on around us, um, we're not going to talk people out of the lifestyle that we're living, they're living. It's going to take the miracle working power of God. And, uh, well, can't I think of his name? It's right on the edge of my tongue. 
I'll get it this afternoon and I'll email it or something. Um, but is in a coal miner's town. And, uh, you know, coal miners can be a little bit rough. And, and in town, they, they began, they had to close up bars. Um, they had to retrain their donkeys because the donkeys pulled uh, the coal carts and their language had changed so dramatically that now that they took the curse words out of it, the donkeys didn't know what they were supposed to do anymore. Let's get to the place in our life where the donkeys don't know what to do anymore because of the change of behavior in our vocabulary and in our life. Now that can happen only one way. It can only happen through the power, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit working in our life. And each and every one of us as born again believers, we are candidates for that power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives so that it not only produces changes within us, but it spills over and it brings changes about in the lives of others. And so I want to talk with you today about the restoration of power. Really, it's the restoration of power in the life of believers. Because I think oftentimes as believers, we're, we're weak. And so what I want us to do is um, we're going to look at four different elements that are involved in the restoration of power, supernatural power in the lives of the believers. Now, when you begin to talk about supernatural power, we, we, we immediately begin to think about miracles and all those things, and I, I, I like miracles. Amen? Everybody say, I like miracles. I like miracles. I like that move of the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you something. The most supernatural, the most miraculous thing that you and I have ever experienced or will ever experience was when we were born again. That was the power of God that was in operation in our life. And so when we think about the supernatural, immediately we think, things are going to get spooky. But it's not. You know, the supernatural ought to be the most natural thing in your life and my life. Why? Because we serve a supernatural God who came into our lives in a supernatural way so that he might manifest the supernatural through you and me. I'm preaching better than you're shouting here this morning. But it's the truth. And so I want to look at five things and five elements. And, And the thing about it is, is we talk about them all the time. But we need the restoration from the standpoint that we realize how important they are and that they belong to us and that they're alive in us so that they can manifest through us. Because what we need to understand more than anything else is that Jesus Christ came into our life, first of all, so that we might spend eternity with him. But beyond that, the primary purpose for its existing on this earth that we might impact 
and influence the lives of others that others may come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you see, that's supernatural. But it ought to function in our life in a natural way. And so Father, we just come to you today in the name of Jesus. We're so excited about the fact that you're such a good God that no matter what circumstances are going around us in our life, we can put our trust and confidence completely in you and that you've promised in your word that you'll never leave us or forsake us. So we look to you today. We want you to have your way in our lives. We want to represent you rightly. And so Father, move. We give you permission to move in and through our lives. Because Father, we want you to get all the glory because it already belongs to you. And so we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna talk with you about five elements that need to be manifest in each of our lives. And when they are, we're gonna live a supernatural life. We're gonna demonstrate to others what Jesus has truly done in each of our lives. You know, we need to realize that as children of God, we're no longer of the natural. We're of the, we're of the supernatural. That's, that's who we are. And so we need to begin to identify with who we try, truly are. You know, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so as we're going through these things, it requires faith. It's faith that brings them to manifestation in our life. And so, in fact, one of them is faith, but we'll get there. So we're going to look at these five elements. And the first one is God's love. You know, um, we're to be representatives we're to be channels of God's love. You know, I believe one of the things for the supernatural to truly have its, its way in our lives, we need to take back from the world some of the things the world's stolen from us. You know, in the, only, the early Pentecostals, they talked about the fact that we were channels that God was gonna channel his love from, through. And the world has stolen that, and they, you know, we've got, you know, channelers now. You know, they channel wacky, crappy stuff into your life. And so they, they stole it. So, so in the church, we're afraid to even say the word anymore because somebody might misinterpret it. Why don't we, why don't we get the proper interpretation of it, begin to use it again, like we ought. And what it's talking about, when we, with that word channel, we are channels. We can't do anything in and of ourselves. But God can do it through us as we allow him to. And so our primary function, one of our primary functions here on earth is to be a channel for God's love to flow through. Do you know what? People will never know the love of God until we, the believers, demonstrate that love to them. It's the love of God 
that brings people to repentance. To know that there's something else out there available to them. You know what the, hopeless, the most hopeless state in life to be in is when you feel like you're stuck in a rut, in a mess, and there's absolutely no way out. Let me tell you something. That's basically where the world is. That's why the world is trying all these different things to find something that brings them a sense of contentment and peace in their life. But the problem is none of it will. Because there's only one thing that'll bring you contentment and peace in your life. And that's when you experience the love of God for the first time. Remember that Saturday morning in the basement of Vern Lewis's house after I'd received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? And I walked out of there and it was, I, I felt differently. It was because I had experienced something that I'd never experienced before. Don't misunderstand me. I grew up going to church every Sunday. I had a loving mother and father that took care of all of my needs to the best of their ability. I had experienced, I, I was married to this wonderful woman, Becky Miller Schroeder, who by this point in time in my life, we could hardly stand each other. Had two beautiful children, but my whole life was turmoil. And one simple act of sitting there in front of that fireplace and praying with three other men and confessing my sin and receiving Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, it's like there's a weight that was lifting off me. Why? Because I had experienced a love that was impossible for me to experience in any other way. But you know the thing that drew me to that basement was those individuals that loved me and accepted me just the way I was as a mess. And you see, that's the thing about Jesus. He loves us. He accepts us just the way we are. Aren't you glad? But he gives us hope that something can be different in our lives. And that's what his love does for us. And so we're to be vessels, we're to be channels of his, of his love. But to be there We've got to recognize that we're not servants. We're children. We're sons of God. I don't know about you. Every time I see one of my children or my grandkids, there's just something on the inside of me. I just feel good. But you know, the same thing is true within the body of Christ. There should be. You know, I realized something about Tina, that she does something that I purpose not to do for the rest of my life, and that's to exercise. <laughs> I see her riding her bike. And you know, every time I see her riding her bike, you know, I, I just, I get a smile. I, I feel giddy inside because I see one of God's kids. You know, yesterday I was driving back after doing something and driving through uptown and 
and saw Chris Heisterkamp with Aaron and Aaron's little baby strolling down the street. And I don't know about you, I just, this felt so good right then. Just, that's what God does to us. And that's what he, he doesn't want the world when they see us to hold their breath and say, oh, there's another one. He wants, to see, he wants them to see us and say, there's one of them. Why do they have such hope in their life? Why do they have such peace in their life? Why is it like nothing ever affects them in a negative way? <clears throat> Guess what? Stuff affects us in a negative way, amen? amen. Well, I got three that don't lie, but, but it's, it's the truth. But see, we don't have to allow it to define who we are. Because what defines who we are is what Jesus has done for us and who we belong to. You know, in Galatians, the fourth chapter, the 31st verse, I want to read this out of the Amplified. And it talks about that we're not, we're not sons of the bondwoman, but we're, we're sons of the free woman. And you know what it means when you're, when you're the son of the free woman? That means you're free. So stop seeing yourself as being bound up. So brethren, we who are born again are not children of a slave woman, the natural. We're not slaves to the natural. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't have to be dominated and controlled by this world. Slaves of this world, the natural but of the free, I like this. That's why I chose the Amplified, the supernatural. The fact that we're free is supernatural. The fact that you were bound to something and now you're free, it wasn't your willpower. Because if your willpower had done it, you would have been free a long time ago. But it was the supernatural power of God that was working and operating in your life. And he wants to continue to work in your life, in my life today. And so we need to realize that we're children of the supernatural. Super, the supernatural is part of who we are. It defines who we are. That's why when we see somebody in bondage, we don't have to step back and just wish and hope that something could be done. We know that something can be done because of the God that we know. When I meet with couples that are in turmoil, I'm able to do it with confidence because I know that what God did in my marriage, he can do in anybody's marriage if they will look to Jesus. Amen. And rather than look at their own self-help program that's ultimately gonna fail them because all of us know our willpower will only take us so far. And it's not that far. In Romans 8, 31 and 32, it says, What then shall we say to these things? <laughs> if God's for us, who can be against us? Listen to me, if God's for you, who can truly be against you? But you know, each and every one of us, we have to come to that 
realization in our own minds, God's for me. But you know what? You listen to most Christians and you come to the conclusion, or they have come to the conclusion, that God's against them. No, he's not. God's for you. Because God is for you. He wants the very best for you. He who did not spare his own son. You know, as a parent or a grandparent, you can so quickly identify with this passage. To hear that God loved us so much that he didn't even spare his own son. And it brings us right down to the nitty gritty. What would I spare my son for? That's what Jesus did. He did it for you. He did it for me, or that's what the Father did. He gave Jesus. Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us. For us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We're in Christ Jesus. See, that's a question. Rhetorical from the standpoint, the answer is he will. But the real question there is how do we see it? How do I see it? Do I believe that God sent his son Jesus for me to be a sacrifice for me so that all things can be made available to me? You know, you've heard me say this a hundred times, but I, I, I think it's so true. You know, when, when the disciples came to Jesus and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And they said, John the Baptist or one of the prophets or Elijah or, or whomever. But then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Who is Jesus to you? You see, if you need healing in your body, Jesus needs to be to you the healer. If you need provision in your life, you need Jesus to be your provider. But he's got to be that to you. It can't be dependent upon what I say or what somebody else says. Who is Jesus to you? Because that's what produces the change and the difference. The victory that each and every one of us long for. I don't know about you, I don't long for defeat. I long for victory. And I'm only gonna find it in one place. It's in Jesus. He's the author, the perfecter. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, you sit there and you start taking the roll call of those that are against you. But see, what it's saying to us, if God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against you. Because ultimately, we will always end in victory. I've had people against me. And I've tried to the best of my ability and the supernatural work of God in my life, to love that individual in spite of them. And almost without exception, 
eventually they come back around. Our relationship may not be what it was intended to be, but there's a healing that can take place. Because we don't, we don't take it upon ourselves to be our justifier. We allow him to be our vindicator because he's always with us. And you know what? The thing that I've found, <laughs> whenever I try to do it, it's like I dig the hole deeper. But when I turn it over to him, he always brings the victory. Now hope, it says in Romans 5.5. See, we have proof that God loves us. But to find that proof, we've got to be willing to look into the Word because so much of religion tells us just the opposite. And again, remember the definition of religion. Religion is man's attempt to get right with God. And that's why we have many religions because there are men trying in many different ways to get right with God. But Christianity isn't a religion. Christianity is a relationship. Christianity is not what I've done or what I do. Christianity is what Jesus has done for me, which I and no other man could possibly do. He set me free. He caused me to be born again. He gave me hope. He is our victory. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Hope does not disappoint. Oh, pastor, been told this so many times. Oh, pastor, you need to be careful. You'll give people false hope. I don't give people false hope. I give people hope because the hope that I give people is based on the Word of God. I can tell you, I can come over to your house and fix your air conditioner. You can have hope in that. But you will be disappointed because that is a false hope. Because even though I was a plumber for 12 years, we never worked on air conditioners. That's a false hope. And you know what? That's the type of hope that many people in the church have today. Well, I hope God will. No, that is, that is the type of hope that I have, that we have. We have the hope because with Bible hope, there's expectation. 
I guess there's six elements that we need, not five. We'll add hope to it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. But that's not a, gee, I hope, gee, I wish type of thing. That's an assurance. That's a belief. That's an expectation. <clears throat> and faith comes along to that expectation and says it belongs to you right now because of what Jesus has done for us. And we have the assurance, the expectation, because we know he loves us with an unconditional love that is not based on me, it's on him. It's all about what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Let's look at Romans 8. I'm going to begin in, in, in verse 35. Romans 8, 35. <clears throat> Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You know, it's a passage we hear all the time. But you know what? It's a passage that we need to get settled in our own thinking. Because religion has come up with all kinds of ideas of what will separate you from the love of Christ. It goes on and it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as, as it is written, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, everybody say all these things. You see, stuff is going to come against you. That's one of the problems in living in this world that we live in. There's stuff. It comes against us. But we need to understand and be persuaded and be determined that none of this stuff has any voice in my life that's going to separate me from the love of Jesus. Yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors. Not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. How are we more than conquerors? Because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. You know, my old illustration of the man that comes home from work and he just got his paycheck and he's walking down the street because he's got his paycheck in his pocket and he's got a little slide in his glide and feels good about himself and shoulders back and, you know, because there's just nothing like having a little money in your pocket and he's a conqueror and he comes home and he opens the front door and his wife meets him and she has a smile on her face and she just holds out her hand and he takes that paycheck and lays it across the palm of her hand and he's a conqueror she's more than a conqueror it's how we are with Christ Jesus he's done it all 
We just have to say, here I am, Lord. Pour it out on me. Give me your blessings that you've already provided for me. And you know what? He does. He will. For I am persuaded. Are you persuaded? I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Any other created thing, anything outside of God is a created thing. That means nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And so we need to be aware of that. We need to be conscious of that. Nothing's going to separate me from his love. Persecutions may come, but it's not from him. It's one of the things that we, we see that religion has done. It's identified so many of the things that the flesh, the world, and the devil brings upon us, and it attributes it to God. And God has nothing to do with it. It's a created thing that's trying to pull you away from the love of God. And our response is, no. Why? Because he's given us his word. And he's told us to respond to those things in the very same way that Jesus responded to them. He said, the word, it's written. And that's what we do. When the enemy says that God doesn't love you anymore, you say, yes, he does. Because the scripture says there is absolutely nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ. You see, that's why it's important for your salvation day to be current in your life. That it be fresh in your life. Because it's your greatest argument. Well, you know, you don't act like a Christian. Well, I may not. But the Bible says that if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, I shall be saved. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. Therefore, I have confidence. I have assurance that I am saved. And because I have that knowledge, that which you see is subject to change. Because of what Jesus has done in each of our lives. You know, what we see in the world is, is fear, full of fear. 1 John 4, 8, it says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out um, fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. I don't know about you, I'm still working on that one. I've been quite perfected in love yet because 
certain things come along and I can feel the fear trying to rise up on the inside of me. But I, I know something. God's not given me a spirit of fear. He's given me a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And if I'll yield myself to the Word of God and to the truth of God, to the Spirit of God, that fear, it has to, it has to flee, it has to get out of the way. When I feel that fear coming against me, I sit back and I evaluate. What am I listening to? What am I hearing? What am I allowing to rise up in my life? Because that's ultimately what's producing the fear in my life. You know, it's either going to produce fear or it's going to work on faith. And the number one thing that the enemy wants to do is he wants to steal your faith. And the easiest way to do that is through fear. And the fear that he wants to work in your life is that God will not or is incapable of doing in your life what he says he'll do. Well, let me give you some assurance this morning. God can do exactly what he said he'll do in, his, in your life. And even greater than that, he will. If we'll but give him the opportunity to do that. The children of Israel, while they're in the wilderness, they walked in fear. Why? Because they rebelled against God. Because they cho chose to believe the circumstances around them rather than the promise or the word that had been given to them. In Deuteronomy 1, 26 and 27, it says, Nevertheless, you would not go up. He told him to go up and possess the land. He told us to possess the land, possess the promises, believe what he said about us and, and declare it to be so and declare it to be true. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commands of the Lord your God. You know, and we say that God doesn't heal today. We're rebelling against his word. We're saying, God, I don't believe what you've told me. When he's told us we're free because of the blood of Jesus, and we say, well, that may be true for others, but it's not true for me. It's the same as the children of Israel. We've refused to go up and possess what he's already provided for us. And you complain in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt and delivered us into the hands of the Ammonites to destroy us. Oh, the conditions around us, they're going to destroy us. Not me. Not me. Because I have hope because I'm in Jesus. And nothing, absolutely nothing is going to take me out of the place where he wants me to be. And that's in the center of his love. And in the center of his love, we have confidence. We have assurance. It's not like the world. Like we have to feel this continual thing hanging over our heads that we've got to prove something to one another. We don't have to prove anything to anybody because it's already been done through Jesus. Hallelujah. Element number two. <laughs> Hallelujah. This may be a two-part teaching. Cry out loud, how can it take this long to get through one portion of a page? 
So the first element is the love of God. The second element, no, I'm not going to keep you that long, Justin. You'll, you'll be okay. <laughs> the second element is grace. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, everybody say has, has blessed us with every, not a portion of, not a few, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The grace of God, every spiritual blessing. Now again, we're talking supernatural here. Listen to me, God's graced you to be free but it's the supernatural power of Him working in your life. God's graced you to be prosperous, but it's the supernatural working of God in your life that, that, that brings about that provision, that, that takes care of that. God's grace is His healing power in your life. But we receive it because He's accomplished it in each of our life. It's by His grace. And you see, Grace and Jesus Christ are synonymous. So every time you speak the word Jesus, in a sense, you're speaking grace. Release that which Jesus has already provided in this circumstance, in this situation, because of the grace of God, because of what He has done in each and every one of us. One of the passages that I've really learned to appreciate over the last couple of years or so is in Philemon 1.6. And it says that the sharing of your faith may work, uh, may, may, may become effective by the acknowledging, acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Think about this. What we're to do is just simply walk around talking about how good God is. That shouldn't be that tough. Let me read that again. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And so I just, we just have to walk around talking about how good it is. You know, thank God we don't have to worry about the condition of the world because we're not of this world. We're of another world. Thank God I don't have to walk around in fear because of uh, of the condition of the economy because my needs are met according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Thank God. I don't have to walk around in fear and, and complaining about the failures of Obamacare because my, my health is independent upon, uh, upon any man's deal. We don't have to worry about it anyway because we're on Social Security. <laughs> you know, but, uh, 
It helps. But what do we do? We just walk around talking about everything that Jesus has done for us. And it's effective in our life. And when I walk around talking about how good Jesus is, I feel good. Everybody around me feels better. Because it works. Because of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Romans eleven six. And if by grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is by works, it is no, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. You know, and some people like to take that and say, well, you see, we sit back and we don't do anything. That's not what it's saying. What are you trusting in? Grace puts our confidence completely in the completed works of Jesus. And as a result of that, I become a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And so it, it manifests, it becomes evident to everybody around me that I'm a doer of the word because of the grace of God that's working in my life. Now, if I'm going to do it in my own ability, then it's no longer grace. It's me. I tried it for years. Don't try it. It doesn't work. I know that you already have tried it. You've probably already proven to yourself that it doesn't work. You say, well, you know, Pastor, it's only worked well for me then you've never gone beyond your own ability. You ought to be a dumb plumber from Minnesota trying to get up in front of a bunch of people every Sunday morning and preach. You get beyond yourself. And you get to the point where you realize, I have got to have the grace of God operating in my life or I will be an absolute failure. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, you're not doing that good anyway. But <laughs> you should have seen me without him. This is the grace of God. Whatever your vocation is, do you want to step it up a notch? Stop just simply doing it in your own strength and in your own ability. Rely upon, depend upon the grace of God. I could start going around this room and I could name individuals and I won't do this because I don't want to embarrass anybody. And I didn't ask anybody if I could use their name. It's just when you get up and walk out on me that I take liberty. <laughs> but there's people all over this room. <clears throat> They're sitting in positions that they ought not to be in. Because in the natural they're not qualified. But because of the grace of God in operation in their life, He's taken them to a place where they wouldn't be, in a, be otherwise. It's the grace of God that is in operation in each of our lives. It's His grace that takes us to a place where we could never imagine being. It's His grace you know, I read this morning from 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8 when we were talking about um, 
um, at, at the time of tithes and offerings. <clears throat> I, I've seen people time after time when they've, when they've come to our pie auction where we, we sell pies to raise money to send our counselors and kids to camp. And we raise, what did we raise this year for? Over $4,000. Same thing last year. And people come to that pie auction, they sit there and somebody buys a pie for $250, $300 and, and they look at them and they think these people are nuts. Spending that kind of money for a pie. But see, the people that are spending money for the pie have come to a realization. It's not about the pie. It's about the kids. And God has graced them so that they can take money and, and use it how some people would look upon and being, say it's being frivolous, it's being ridiculous, it's being stupid. But I tell you something, when you're graced to do it, you can't outgive God. And you do it cheerfully. Not because you feel this obligation because of what somebody going to think. It's because we know that God is bigger than any situation, any circumstance that we'll ever encounter in life. Myself and the elders, we just went over the, the church finances. 24% of our monies that go through our checking account this, this first half of the year went away from us, went into missions, went into home missions, went into, we're not talking about children's ministry here, that's part of us. We're not talking about money that goes into camp, that's part of us, but it goes away from us. Why can we do that as a church? It's because of the grace of God. We're not smart enough, we're not uh, equipped enough, we don't have enough people to be able to do that. But it's the grace of God that's in operation in our midst who empowers us to do what the world would say is an absolute impossibility. The world says you can't live off 10% or off, off 90%. You've got to have the 100%. You can't afford to tithe. But the grace of God says we have more than enough. And that 90% goes further than we could ever imagine with 100 Oh, now I started meddling, so we need to move on. So first point, element is, is love. Second element is grace. Third element is faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift from God. Jumping down to Romans 5, 2, it says, Through him also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You see, faith appropriates the grace that has already been provided for you and I. Is faith important? Oh yes, without faith it's impossible to please God. Without faith we don't appropriate what God has already provided for us. And what pleases him 
is when he sees us operating in faith and he sees that which he purchased for us manifest in each of our lives. Because he says in that he receives the glory. Element number four, sped it up a little bit. Authority. I just touch on this because we need to teach some more on this and I'll do it in the future. Authority is the missing link. Because we don't realize that we speak, we believe, we use what he's given us. We demonstrate that authority by the words that come out of our mouth. When we declare what Jesus has done for us, that's exerting authority. Who would have ever thought? He told us to cast out devils. And so when you see something taking place around you that ought not to be, you take authority over it in the name of Jesus. He said, heal the sick. He didn't just simply say, go pray for the sick. He said, heal the sick. How do we heal the sick? With the authority, by declaring that by the stripes of Jesus, you're healed. That's what he's told us to do. And so Matthew 10, verse 1, it says, And when he had called his twelve disciples together, he gave them power. Authority is using the power that has been invested into your life for the glory of God. And when he had called his 12 disciples together, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. And as you go preaching, declaring, speaking about what Jesus has done for me and in me and through me, and as you go preaching, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is what he's saying to them. He says, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Important point. If you've never received, you have nothing to give. When you've received the grace and the graces of God in your life, you can freely give from yourself because you have it all in abundance to minister to every need. Authority is the power to enforce spiritual laws. We're not talking about us being able to just go out and do anything. We're talking about we have been given authority to enforce the spiritual laws that God has invested in our lives. Authority. Number five, belief. You say, well, pastor, that's kind of a repetition of faith. No, there's a lot of people that talk about faith, but they don't really believe. What does it say in 1 Peter 2.24? who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live to righteousness, by whose stripes we were here, healed. Belief 
believes that. Faith declares it. But belief comes to the point where I actually believe that if something tries to attach itself to my body, I believe that Jesus has paid the price so that I might be whole. Doubt cancels faith. Doubt comes along and says that God can't do it. Faith says, yes, he can. And so belief says, I believe that God says I can do by faith what he says I can do. Ephesians 1.18 says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. We're supposed to know something. We're not just to have an inkling. We're to know something. The eyes of my understanding being enlightened. That's that means, means we, our minds, God doesn't forget about our minds. Romans 12, 2 says that we're to renew our minds by the word of God. It says in Romans, Romans 12, 3 that we've each been given the measure of faith. Even the ability for us to believe God is a gift from God. And so we've each been given the measure of faith. And then we're to renew our minds to change our thinking that our minds might be illuminated to the things of God. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I'm a saint, I qualify, so do you. And that is the exceeding greatness, exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. It's towards who? Towards those who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of Father God on high. Why is he seated there? Because he's completed the work. It's been invested in you and me so that we can go out and do the work that we're called to do. Finally, Romans 1.16, it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. And so we, we qualify. You see, there's power in the gospel. There's power in the message that Jesus has given us. There's power when we realize what Jesus has truly done for us. There's power released when we believe it and we begin to act upon it, knowing that we can make a difference in our community, in our family, in our environment, because of what Jesus has done in our lives. Love, grace, faith, authority, belief. These three elements we need to release that supernatural power, that power that changed our lives, that'll change the lives of others. It's the cross. It's Christ. Let's... Let's not be fearful. 
Let's not allow the natural to dictate what we believe. Let's choose, because that's what it comes down to. Deuteronomy says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose. I choose life. I choose blessing. And I find life and I find blessing in Christ, in Jesus, in all that he accomplished for me. But for it to be effective, I must believe. By faith, I appropriate what Jesus accomplished me for me and made available to me through grace. It's mine. belongs to me. And I live in it and walk in it. We ought to spread it everywhere we go. Oh, the goodness of God. He loves you. To know that truth, to know he loves us absolutely unconditionally. While we were yet sinners, the love of God sent Jesus to die for you and me. I'm so thankful. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. And Father, we thank you today. We thank you that in all things we can put our trust and our confidence in you and that you promised in your word that you'll never let us down, you'll never forsake us. Jesus, you've given us supernatural power. Not so that we can just simply use it on our own selves, and, but that we might use it for your glory to touch a world and touch a people that don't know you yet. But they need to. They need hope. Father, may we be those channels of hope that reach out to others to show them that there is a way when there appears to be no way. To show them that through your love and through the grace that you've made available to us, they can be free and they can be whole. Father, use us to that end. May we watch the words that come out of our mouth that we might represent you rightly and that the words that they, heal, they hear would be words that would be filled with grace to bring them hope. Oh, Father, we thank you that we can trust you completely. And just before we close, with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you've never personally received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're as I was, gone to church your entire life, or maybe you've never been in church before. But you haven't received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and 
that stirring that you feel on the inside of you right now, that's the Holy Spirit working on you. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you'll confess it, you'll speak it out of your mouth, you'll be saved. It's those words, that's how we release our faith. So if you're here this morning and you've never personally received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and He's stirring your heart right now. And you would say, Pastor Dave, I, I want to receive Jesus this morning. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you had just simply right where you're seated, just look up at me and raise your hand. In doing so, you're saying, Pastor Dave, I want to, I want to receive Jesus this morning as my Lord and Savior. And I want to pray with you. I'll assure you I'm not going to have you get up and I'm not going to have you come up here. But if that's you, just real quickly, we'll just take a moment. Just raise your hand and look up at me. And in doing so, you're saying to me, Pastor Dave, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. Is there anybody? Anybody at all? Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank you for the victory that is ours through Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, that no weapon that's been formed against us shall prosper. We thank you that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And Father, as we go out into this world, we are your representatives. We ask you by the power of your Spirit that you would lead us, guide us, and direct us. And Father, we pray that you would bring us across the paths of individuals who would hear the good news that Jesus paid the price for their sins. Use us, Father, for your glory. And there's no more glorious thing to be, than to be able to see somebody come into your kingdom. So use us, Father. And so, Lord, we pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you might accomplish your plan in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you go, give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them. God bless.